Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome on this Palm Sunday. <clears throat> Palm Sunday is always a emotional day. We come in to uh, Jesus riding on that donkey to Hosanna's, and we end with this passion reading, the crucifixion. Um, and I always take just a, a small part of this passion reading to preach on because you can't do the whole thing. So today, um, I'm going to talk about Peter's denial in the courtyard. The big idea is that there is redemption after a fall. There is redemption after a fall. Um, Peter <coughs> talks big. 14.26, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all, they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, This very night before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. I want to play a, a short uh, video clip from The Passion about Peter's denial in the garden. It's, uh, he's, it's in Aramaic. I don't know how well, I don't know how your Aramaic is. But it's also subtitled, but the subtitles are pretty small. But the whole idea is that he's denying Jesus three times. The cock crows, he looks at Jesus, and he's convicted, and he falls down in front of Mary and says, I'm not worthy, and finally runs away. So that's, that's what's happening, even if you can't read it.
you can just feel his, his anguish. Peter made all kinds of promises before the trouble started. I'll never leave you. I'll die for you. I've got your back. You can count on me. He had the best of intentions before the pressure came, and he failed. Have you ever made a, a commitment or a promise that you didn't keep? Politicians do that all the time. Vote for me, I'll do this, this, and this, and then they get the vote and they forget about what they promised, and they'll be back in two, four, or six years. That story of 15 priests that were leaving the Episcopal Church back in 2007, walking arm in arm, and then um, as, as we got closer to the cliff, we're all band of brothers, and we get there, and seven of them looked down and said, whoa, look down, it's a long way down, farther than I thought. So seven didn't, and eight did. And the seven, who are all friends of mine, have never spoken to me since then, 2007, nothing. And Peter in the garden. It's funny, in the beginning of the story, Peter shows what I would call reckless courage because he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He doesn't care. He's just going for it. He's protecting Jesus. Now, the last place you might expect him to be is in the courtyard of the high priest as Jesus is being tried. He's in enemy territory, you might say. So Peter follows Jesus at a distance. And when we follow Christ at a distance, we're more likely to be tempted into a fall. His advice to us is stay close to me. Stay close to me. What is your relationship like with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis? For a lot of people who consider themselves Christians, this is it. If they attend church, this is my relationship with Jesus. I come to church, I say my prayers, I receive the sacrament, I go home, and I live my life Monday through Saturday. Hmm, maybe not quite in, the, in a Sunday way. Maybe, I think, what did you say? What did we find? If somebody says, wake up and say, good morning, Jesus. When you wake up, say, good morning, Jesus. What, what are we going to be doing today? Every day should be a Jesus day. Jesus should be an active participant in your life all the time, what you think, what you say, what you feel. Not a strange relationship or connection. Be prayerful. So now he's sitting among the accusers rather than standing with Jesus. The more we sit with the world, the more comfortable we become with our new surroundings. The more we sit with the world outside, the more comfortable we become with its surroundings. You have young people that are raised up in an environment like this, and off they go to a university. And all of a sudden, they're exposed to a very different way of thinking. And the more they are there, the more comfortable they become with their surroundings and the stranger they think we are. Strange things are being taught to young people in elementary school these days. One of the things I put in my letter to the editor was, 
and these things are being taught to our children even in the elementary school. They edited my letter and took that out. They edited my letter to the editor. So I wrote another letter to the editor. I haven't heard back and probably won't. There are some school districts where when they were doing virtual online learning, the parents had to sign a statement that said, I will not look at what's being taught to my child. They had to sign a statement saying, I will not observe what is being taught to my children online. When they're in there going to school, I will be somewhere else. I cannot, as a parent, imagine signing such a piece of paper, but they did. What are you teaching my child that you don't want me to see or know as a parent? You know, makes you wonder, right? So in the courtyard, there's a servant girl who recognizes Peter. Denial number one. I don't know what you're talking about. What is this? I don't get it. No, I don't know what you're talking about. He now moves to the entryway. He doesn't leave. He just gets a little bit further away from this woman. And the same girl tells other people he's one of them. And now the bystanders say he's one of them. In another translate, in another gospel, it says, his accent betrayed him. He was from Galilee. So it's like going to Dallas and wanting people to think you're from Texas. And you say, park the car in Harvard Yard. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, it's like being a good old boy and going up to Boston trying to pass yourself off as a Bostonian. We had a, I did a baptism for that 74-year-old not too long ago and from Lakeland. And he was oxygen deprived at birth, so he was a special needs guy. He's 74 years old. He was a good old boy. He's called me Bubba. I'm Bubba. His name was David. Just call me Bubba. So I'm doing the baptism, and as I'm asking him these questions, do you, do you, do you, do you, he's supposed to say, I do. And the first one, he said, and I went through it with him, and he said, first I said, do you? Yes, sir. I said, Bubba, now it's I do. Yes, sir. So the next one was, yes, sir. I said, I'll take it. We're good. It's all good. It counts. I, your, I, your, your yes, sir, is an I do. I got it. I got it. Denial number two, he, he ratchets it, it up a little bit, and now he even denies knowing Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know that guy. Come on. First of all, I don't know what you're talking about. Now I don't know him. And the third denial is really ratcheted up because he says, if I'm not telling the truth, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. That's what it means when you call a curse down on yourself. He invoked a curse on himself. If I'm not telling you the truth, may God strike me dead. The denials progress in intensity, and the pressure is increasing. And now the cock crows for the second time. William Barclay says this. 
The Roman night was divided into four watches from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. At the end of the third watch, at 3, in the, 3 o'clock in the morning, which is probably about when this was happening, the guard was changed. When the guard was changed, there was a bugle call, which was called the Gallicinium, which is the Latin for the cock crow. Most likely what happened was that as Peter spoke his third denial, the clear note of the bugle call rang out over the silent city and smote on Peter's ear. He remembered and his heart broke. It may very well have been that bugle call, otherwise known as the cock crow, that sounded, and that's what made him remember. At this point, Jesus looks at him, And turning from the, let's see. And immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The thing is, it wasn't a look of condemnation. The word that's used for look means sympathetic understanding. Jesus looks at him not as in a condemning way. How could you betray me like this, Peter? After everything we've been through, after what you said tonight at the Last Supper, and after you cut the guy's ear off, and here you are betraying me, not once, not twice, but three times in the courtyard of the high priest. How could you? It's not what it was. It was this sense of sympathetic understanding. I get it. I get it. I understand. That's the look that broke Peter. And it's almost, he doesn't care. You saw at the beginning of the video where everybody's like around him and accusing him and he's trying to get away. All that just stops because of that look that Jesus gave him. And he breaks. His heart just breaks. And he, and he comes in contact with Mary. And she says, Peter, and he falls to the ground. What he said up there was, Mother, I denied him three times. I am unworthy. That's what he said. And that's when he runs off. The good news is that's not the end of the story. Right after this, there's people go to the tomb. The women go to the tomb, and there's two young men. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples. Now, Kathy's two favorite words in the Bible are, but God. These are two of my favorite words in the Bible. And when I read them, I get chills. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before them to Galilee there you will see him as he told you. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter is still one of us. I have not turned my back on him, even though he turned his back on me. I just, I love it. And then at the end of that story in Luke, the road to Emmaus, where the disciples, they go back and they talk to the disciples and they say, it's good news, he's risen. And he's, he's, he's appeared to Simon. He's appeared to Peter. There's a separate 
there's a separate appearing of Jesus to Peter that we don't have recorded the, the dialogue or the back and forth, but that says Jesus appeared to Peter by himself after he rose from the dead. And then in John 21, there's that back and forth between Jesus and Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know I do. You know I do. You know I do. Feed my sheep. Thou art Peter. On this rock I will build my church. Mm. The only source for this story could be Peter. Mark, as we learned early on, is Peter's biographer. What you read in the Gospel of Mark is pretty much Peter's story. And what he's saying is, this is what I did, and this amazing Jesus never stopped loving me. This is what I did to him, and this amazing Jesus never stopped loving me. Now, if you're writing something to make yourself look good, you don't write this story in your book. You don't let yourself be known as a traitor, somebody who's weak, and turn your back on the master at the, at the moment of truth. But the good news is, is the story of this restoration, and the big idea here is there is restoration after a fall. I think also part of the good news is that Jesus is not part of the cancel culture. A lot of that going on today. If Jesus was part of the cancel culture, you never would have heard of Peter and the disciples because of what they did. And it's a sad thing because I think one of the things that's happening to, I think, good people these days, there's a story of this young woman, 27 years old, the editor of Teen Vogue. Somebody got mad at her about something, and they outed her because when she was 17 years old in high school, she, she had a tweet or something that was racist or, or bad. And they brought it up, and they fired her because of that. That's not who she is today. But because of that 10-year-old statement, she couldn't stay. An interesting twist to that story, the woman who outed her, they went back and looked at her tweets, and she got fired too. The same thing happened to the guy that had been on The Bachelor for 20 years, Chris somebody. I don't watch the show. But one of the contestants was eliminated or disqualified because of something she had said 10 years earlier, and she and he just said, look, it's not who she is today. That's not who she is now. Well, he got the ax because he's defended somebody, you know. I mean, how many of you are really happy they didn't have the Internet when you were 16 years old? Hello? Are you the same person you were when you were a teenager or in your 20s after a life of experience and a life of faith? I don't think so. I'm not. I'm different. I don't want to go back to what I was. And if that's what I'm being judged on, if that's what we're being judged on as if nothing has changed, I don't want to live in that world. And Jesus is not like that. Jesus sees us for who we are now or what we can be. He never gave up on Peter, even at his worst moment. Peter is called to stand up for Jesus, and he fails. He fails because the pressure was too much. The cost was too great. When, Jesus, when God talked to me that day on the beach in 2007, he said, more people will be unfaithful than faithful to me because being faithful will cost too much. It was going to cost Peter too much to stand up and be faithful to Jesus and say, yes, I was with him, I'm one of them, couldn't do it. Will we be willing to stand up and say, yes, I'm with him, I'm one of them, 
as the pressure mounts against just a simple Christian worldview. Oral Roberts uh, was in the Sweet 16. I think, sadly, they lost yesterday to Arkansas, 72 to 70, I think, right? But there was like, that was the Cinderella story for the, for the tournament. They beat the numbers, uh, let's see, they beat Ohio State, number two seed. They beat Florida, number seven. Who said yay? Somebody said yay? No. Oh, I'm, oh, yes, somebody's outing you over there, Fred. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Oral Roberts is a Christian university with a Christian worldview, and they have a biblical understanding of life. There is now a movement to have Oral Roberts thrown out of the NCAA because their views on gender and sexuality and just generally speaking biblically, biblical values don't comport apparently with the NCAA. So there's a movement to kick Oral Roberts out of the NCAA. Cigna is an insurance company and their, their managers have been set, told to set aside certain group of people for hiring and promotion for now. And that group of people are white, male, heterosexual, cisgendered. You know what? Are you cisgendered? Do you have any idea what that means? CIS, gendered. It means, Mike, you've always known you're a boy. You ever wondered about that? That's cisgendered. All right, there's a lot of gender words, but that, that's what that means. White, male, heterosexual, cisgendered Christians are to be set aside for hiring and promotion for now. What? What? How about foster agencies, foster children who, who, who put people with foster homes or adoption agencies that are Christian and don't put children with same-sex couples? They're out of business in certain states, and they were the largest organizations to do that. But they have a biblical understanding of these issues, and they're being punished for it. Hmm. The other thing that they took out of my letter was that, that piece I put in about the thruple, the three men that got married out in California, and they had a ba little baby boy and a little baby girl through a surrogate, surrogates, and uh, three men are each on each birth certificate. Well, they, they took that out of my letter. That, that didn't make the cut either. So what I'm saying is we're going to be facing more pressure, more resistance and pushback because of what people consider in society and culture now consider to be antiquated, out-of-date, hurtful beliefs about these issues that are so prominent in the culture. And that has to do with universities and sports and corporate America and government and churches and so many places. And it's sad to me, it's sad to me that we have this understanding of life because we read this book and we believe it's true. And we're not trying to hurt anybody. 
I don't hate anybody. We're just trying to live our lives according to God's word, and we will be um, challenged for that. And the question is, will we be able to stand up to that onslaught, that pressure, or will we be like Peter? Now, the good news about Peter is that even if we fail, God forgives and restores the repentant heart. There was an evangelical called Brownlow North. His name was Brownlow North. He was a man of God, but in his youth he had lived a wild life. And again, you think of the cancel culture. One Sunday he was to preach in Aberdeen, Scotland, and before he entered the pulpit, a letter was handed to him. The writer recounted a shameful incident in Brownlow North's life before he became a Christian and stated that if he dared to preach, he would rise in the church and publicly proclaim what once he had done. Brownlow North took the letter into the pulpit with him and read it to the congregation. He told them that it was perfectly true. And then he told them how through Christ he had been forgiven, how he had been enabled to overcome himself and put the past behind him, how through Christ he was a new creature. He used his own shame as a magnet to draw men to Christ. That is what Peter did. He told men, I heard him, and I let him down like that, and still he loved and forgave me. And he can do the same for you. And it was probably the worst night of Peter's life. He felt awful. His self-respect had hit rock bottom. Your life may hold such mistakes and failures too. A spoiled marriage, a tragic accident, devastating financial blunder, a denial of your faith, you feel terrible. It seems that the hurt will never go away. Perhaps. Healing can take a long time. But the end of Peter's story is forgiveness and restoration. Peter became the rock of the church. No failure or mistake is beyond repair. Remorse need not be the final word. Jesus offers forgiveness, renewed strength, and power to live again. Jesus can work the miracle your life needs. The choir is going to sing a song. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It was written by a man of the 19th century named Richard Robinson. Robinson had a strong faith, and he, left, he fell away from the faith. He was in a carriage in London, and he was on his way to a bridge to commit suicide. The cabbie stopped to pick up a woman. She was reading a poem. It was, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And she said, you know, I wonder, I wonder, isn't it wonderful that God can recall us and restore us and forgive us? I wonder who wrote this. And he said, madam, it was I. And he came back. That was a God appointment for that woman to be picked up randomly off the street before he took his life. And he was restored to wholeness. Come thou fount of every blessing.